1: From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Rusciutti. Peter Rusciutti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter
2: Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. A long time ago, you used to sit down and watch TV, pick up the remote, and choose between a handful of channels. For a long time before that, you got to choose between three channels, ABC, NBC, and CBS. That's all there was on TV. And if you had a business and you wanted to advertise on TV, those were your only choices. Although today that seems unbelievable. It's almost exactly where we are with online marketing. Once you buy ads on Google and Facebook, that's pretty much the internet covered. The trick is getting your ad noticed on those platforms and in using online marketing in other more sophisticated ways. How exactly you do that is the province of online pioneer Will Scott. Will launched his digital marketing company, Search Influence, in February of 2006, although that might not seem like very long ago, to put it in some sort of digital perspective. It was 18 months before the first iPhone was launched in June 2007. Today Search Influence has 45 full-time employees, and its own influence is felt online and in the real world, well beyond its headquarters here in New Orleans. Will, it is great to see you again. Welcome down to lunch. Thanks, Peter. It's nice to be here again. The meeting of online and offline worlds is also the domain of my other lunch guest today, Eileen Chow. Eileen is the founder and CEO of a company called Interview Ready Now. As the name suggests, Interview Ready Now navigates job seekers through the job application process, which typically begins online and ends across a desk in a real-world interview. On the other side of the desk, Interview Ready Now also helps companies target and find the kind of employees they're looking for. Eileen, welcome down to Lunch.
3: Thanks, it's so great
2: to be here. Now Will, the name of your company, Search Influence, is taken from what was originally the basis of online experience, a searching. In 2006, if you had a business, it was vitally important to understand how Google works so that your business would come up on the first page of any computer search. Now we're searching for everything on our phones, we're moving from text to speech, A search might typically begin with Yelp or Amazon, and for lots of stuff we're looking for, GPS-based tools seem to find everything for us almost automatically. In this environment, is a search engine optimization still relevant, or is there some other fundamental basis of digital
1: marketing uh, that has replaced it? Search is still a critical component. It's usually the last thing that happens prior to a purchase, and... What we do now is we influence behavior prior to the search so that we can get people searching for what we'd like them to. And I think that the best of us, whether coming from a traditional marketing angle or coming from a digital marketing angle, are recognizing that it's converging. Do you know, We find ourselves today not pitching against other digital agencies, but pitching against what we would think are traditionally uh, uh, traditional agencies. Now, Eileen, mastering the process of writing a
2: resume, getting noticed, and making an impression in an interview has always been a particular skill that's hard to master. It's it's difficult from both sides. Uh, from the job seeker side, not everyone has the natural skills of selling themselves. And from the employer side, it's a special skill to be able to tell from an interview who's going to be the best fit for your business. One of the tools we've got at our disposal now is social media, so let's start there. If I'm looking for a job, should I edit my Facebook or Instagram accounts to portray a certain image? And if I'm looking for an employee, how much research do I have to do on candidates on their social media pages?
3: I think anything that you put out there, you know, Facebook owns that content, right? And, like, Instagram is accessible. There are things that you can do, like privacy settings or friends only. But I just always veer on the safe side. That doesn't mean you can't, like, show pictures of your travel with your family, with your friends, having a good time. But you might want to rethink, you know, pictures to Bourbon Street on your 21st birthday, right? Being right. Like, uh, being able to be seen by anyone, including prospective employers. Or the s-
1: ubiquitous redstone. Solo cup is never a good right. idea. Oh yeah. Right, yeah, right.
2: Or doing a Skype interview with a bong in the back. I think right. that would be another right. problem. Right, exactly. Yeah.
3: And so on the employer side, I think it's fair game. You know, I feel like employers should check out. You know, the traditional first go-to is probably beyond the paper resume is LinkedIn, right, to see if that matches, and that's pretty easy. But I mean, if you do a Google check of your name, um, you should probably see what results come up, what images come up, and if you don't feel that that is going to be aligned with the professional brand of who you want to be. As you interview for upcoming jobs, you need to edit that. Will, how much do you need to
2: spend on Facebook to have the ad actually
1: work? I think it depends on on whom you're targeting, right? I mean, you could spend um, uh, you could spend twenty five dollars and uh, promote a you know a, a Saints tailgate party at your. You know, local bicycling-themed cafe, which we did, and it was a killer, right? Yeah. Because because we had, um, you know, a friend of the organization, this is a roulette on uh, Barone Street, a friend of the organization had donated some fantastic tickets. And so, for twenty-five bucks, we were able to promote a post that talked about this ticket donation, and all you had to do was come in and and buy anything at the cafe, and you could be entered to win these tickets. So that didn't cost much. It didn't cost much at all, right? I mean, because it was a it was a resource that was going to go unused. The guy whose tickets these were wasn't going to you know they he wasn't going to go, and so he's going to maybe put them on StubHub or something, and so we used them instead to promote the cafe, and they had a banner weekend, right? But
2: other projects are going to be. Mm. We,
1: yeah, we work with um, you know we we work with some larger kind of tourism focused organizations in town, and and you can spend tens of thousands of dollars a month on Facebook and still only scratch the surface, right? I think the 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 thing Facebook actually, you know, we talked about I started in this very sort of like technical voodoo called SEO, right? and it was about making sure that your website said all the things that matched up to the ways in which people were searching for them with enough quantity and enough sort of um, third-party referrals through links, that kind of thing. And, and over the span of time, I was always resistant to display advertising because I'd come out of the Yellow Pages world and I thought, <laughs> oh no, I'm not gonna do more display ads. But, you know, what, what we came to learn primarily through Facebook was that where display advertising really wins, and I think this is actually even true of things like cable and radio, yes, real live, like media, um, is that if you, can, if you can target sort of demographically and psychographically the groups who are most likely buyers of your product, you can spend a lot less money to effect the same change, right? It's when you have to, and you talked about, you know, in the old days there was ABC, NBC, and CBS, well... That's about as much of a kind of like scattergun approach as one can take, right? I'm just going to put my message out there, and my ultimate buyer is going to be here, even though they represent maybe 2% of that audience. And so with Facebook and with sort of targeted online display, and and to some extent with search now, as we get retargeting into search itself, you can actually speak only to the 2%. Or at a minimum, increase the likelihood you're speaking to that 2%, and if if... If it costs you ten thousand dollars to reach them, great. If they're the right two percent, you're going to see a return on that. If it costs you twenty five dollars to reach them, if they're the right two percent, you're going to see a tremendous return on that. So I think it it depends on who the audience is.
2: And Eileen, how do you speaking of marketing? How do you market yourself?
3: It's so um so I have a marketing like traditional background with your low <laughs> low overhead. Yeah. Um. So I tried a lot of things, you know. Um. But uh, I found that when I did Google Ads. The people that were reaching out to me were not my two percent. Just like what Will said, um, and so with something that's so okay. If uh, first of all, if I work on your resume, Peter, I'm not going to show it, right? So I, you know, it's confidential. Um, it's not Unless like I hair- start
2: using those black highlighters, right? <gasps> <laughs> <Is> a-
3: <laughs> Cross out everything. You know, it's not like a haircut or like a shirt where I could put a picture of on Instagram and show you how great my work is, right? So it really comes down to referrals, right? And so my first year, it, you know, I was like, I'm going to, you know, invest a lot and like these ads and and see what. happens. Happens. But really what means so much more is like if someone else said, hey, I can I can vouch for her. She worked with me. She's fantastic. That is so much more powerful than me spending any amounts of money on Google to get a, a client.
2: And how about this, Eileen? The, you know, you know, they like you and all. How do you kind of nudge people to know that a referral would be really helpful? To
3: yeah, you? Um, I definitely send out. Um, I, I manage through a CRM like, uh, you know, just I only try. I try to do it very little because I don't want to like bombard people, but probably like. Uh, semi-annual emails that have like you know maybe 10% off ser- off, ser- off all services or I'll do a referral bonus or have um, you
2: s- have you heard me on out to lunch yeah yeah so you'll you see the,
3: that too yeah
1: one of the things, and uh, see it's so just uh, to jump in on this one of the things that I find really interesting is that um, if you look at the data right 85% of people are some silly number trust online reviews as much as they trust referrals from friends and family, right? And so one of the things that we're finding a lot of value in is sort of systematizing this process. We have a tool that we use where if I've got an email database, I can drop all those emails into the tool, and it'll do proactive outreach to say, hey on a scale of zero to ten, sort of standard net promoter, um, you know, how likely are you to recommend? And then based on the response, you know, if they're in that promoter category, it'll prompt them through a series of additional Mm -hmm. steps, one of which might be to leave an online review. So, if Facebook is a place where I find myself acquiring a lot of customers, I can direct folks to Facebook to leave me a review. Um, Obviously, I want to focus on the promoters, and I want to collect that feedback so I can improve my business from anybody who's not in that category, right? But, but I think that the word of mouth, which is so powerful, the, the human-to-human mm-hmm. referral, is actually now... Um, online reviews. Online reviews. Mm-hmm. And, and by being online, it becomes thereby scalable and replicable and something that one can build a system around.
2: And Will, you've sort of found the advertising holy grail in some way. Because one of the things we always try to figure out is, here's a, here's a lead or here's somebody that came to us. Where did they come from? What is it that triggered it?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I, it's, this, is, this is really interesting. And it's, it's one of those things that we have not talked about enough. But maybe 11, you know, so we've been in business just over 12 years. And maybe 11 years ago, um, I hired this uh, crazy Turkish programmer, a guy named Anur Demir, who's just brilliant. And he and I still keep in touch online um, to, to help us build a system that we call Lead Sender. And what Lead Sender does is it actually traps when somebody fills out a form on your website or when they pick up the phone and call you, it traps where they came from. And in some cases, if we have enough, you know, if we have enough uh, of a view into the data, we can even tell how many times they've been to your website before, uh, what they looked at when they were there, what their sources of origin were. Because the, in our world, we talk a lot about attribution. And, and attribution is most typically either first click or last click. In other words, where did they come from, right? either the first time that they arrived at your site or the last time that they arrived at your site prior to conversion, right? whether it's to buy something or to pick up the phone or to fill out a form or whatever. And so so with Lead Sender, we're able to see each of those touch points along the path. So they may have come in through paid search. Then they may have come back through Facebook ad. Then we may have retargeted them in Google search. And so we can start to see each of those sort of helpers along the path to ultimately creating a relationship with them.
2: Wow, right in between Big Brother and Genius.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I, um, I like to tell people, you know, all of those scary things that you hear about, you know, um, Facebook and online marketing, you know, they're absolutely true. And and you should definitely be scared. And as a marketer, I freaking love it. <laughs> You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti.
2: I'm talking with Will Scott, the CEO of digital marketing company Search Influence, and Eileen Chow, founder of the job search consultancy Interview ready now. Eileen, you mentioned the you know, kind of the holy trinity of this whole finding a job is sort of the resume, the cover letter, and networking, but that in New Orleans, that networking part is. Bigger than the other two.
3: I mean, more than anything. It should be constant, right? You should not be networking the moment that you're applying for a job because, honestly, it's, it's a little too late. Like, everyone else is going to be networking at the same time. So I encourage people to, like, I call it like kind of proactive networking. Like, even if you're not actively looking for a job, have a conversation so that in two years, Will can come up to me and say, hey, remember that conversation? Remember we did Out to Lunch together? Yeah. You know, I, I really need some help doing this. And so you have not just you kind of going after, like, the, you know, the um, – the race of everyone applying at the same time, but then you have the opportunities coming to yourself as and well. And
2: how wide can the networking be? I mean, you know, for instance, You know, we have students at Tulane, and they'll say, I'll give them a suggestion. They'll go, well, that person isn't working for the company I'm I'm aiming to work at. But I said, you know, but they're in the industry, you know. Right, right. So do you tell people to widen it out a little bit? For
3: sure. And then Tulane students are, I I think it's so um, rewarding to work with students who have never networked before. And so I sat with a student last year, and she actually found someone at the company she was applying to. And she knew him, and she was, like, sweating and, like, hyperventilating. We composed a LinkedIn message together. And she's like, he might not remember me. I'm like, listen, LinkedIn. In it's giving you permission. Like one day you're going to be on the other end. Yeah, Some kid's going to be like sweating and you're going to be really nice about it. Like you, you pay it forward. So we sent the message, hit, and she had to like go to the bathroom because she was like so upset. <laughs> By the time she got back, the guy had already responded, right? And he was yeah. like, hey, great to hear from you. Let's hop on the phone tomorrow. And so, you know, it's, yes, you're right. Like it's if you don't get like the team of the organization that you are applying for, start with the industry, right? And then go from there and then slowly get to the company, slowly get to the organization But again, if you're just doing that active networking only when a job is open, everyone's doing the same thing. So you really should be casting a really broad net at all at all times of your life. Right? Set a goal: one to two networking conversations per month, so that you can be ahead of the game and that they could be notifying you when the position's actually open. The
2: part I have always wondered is, you know, you get a, you know, if a company's public, for instance, you can find out just about everything you ever want. But finding out about the culture of a company seems to be a different kind of animal.
3: Yeah, and you definitely, I, I feel like another common mistake when you start is like, well, I don't want to work really hard, or how much do I pay? Or I really need to take this vacation in August. Like, if I start now, can I get three three weeks off? Probably don't, don't start with those. With networking, I call it like genuine networking. People love talking about themselves, right? And so if you prepare a list of great questions about Peter, about Will, yeah, right? right? And you let them talk about themselves, it's going to illuminate so much about the culture, the type of person that fits in there. They're going to feel great because they got to talk about themselves. And then at the end of the conversation, usually people are like, you know what? You are great, even though you didn't say that much, right? Let let me pass your resume on to someone else on the team. So that's a trick I've found versus like having to lead all those informational interviews is really to put the great questions on the person that you're talking to. I
1: think LinkedIn is such an underutilized tool. In what way? Well, so there's the networking piece of it, right? Which is, as you... um, I find that I get connection requests from uh, young people that I meet when I go and speak to classes at Tulane and other places, and, <clears throat> and I love that because then what that means is that at some point in the future, they can LinkedIn stalk me, right, and figure out who I know because, because very much like y'all were talking about, this idea of can I, um, can I leverage your connections to kind of extend my network. And I have, you know, probably a couple thousand connections on LinkedIn. Somebody I know is connected into that organization. And I should be able to sort of surf that network and find somebody who can make that warm introduction where it's not just me calling up and saying, hey, I'm Will Scott. I run Search Influence. Your marketing sucks. Can I help? Right? <laughs> so, which, you know, not that's not a great entree. But... Um, but the, you know, but when you get that introduction and somebody says, hey, you should really talk to this guy, he knows what he's talking about, and whether you wind up being a customer or not, you'll probably learn something, then I'm much more likely to get a call back.
2: You know what interested me about your company as well, Will, is that you, at one point, had a lot of the production being done offshore, I guess in India, yep. and you brought it here. Uh, why, and how did that work?
1: Well, the, um, so when we started... Uh, so we started this company and it was it was no kidding me in a spare bedroom in the house that we were living in in Mandeville at the time um, it took us three months to realize what a terrible mistake that was and it took us three years to correct it um, the, the living in Mandeville um, <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Mandeville I just don't like my car that much um, so the so it was it was myself and, and my wife was running our accounting because that's what you know she was really good at at the time um, and and we built this sort of remote team in India. And as we started scaling up, uh, we hired local account management type folks, and we, we grew that organization in India. And we got to 2009, early 2010, and came to realize that we were really bad at managing fully remote employees. And, and when we did the math, you know, we came to understand that we could probably get as much done here Given our lack of aptitude for managing remote employees, as we could in India for nearly the same cost, and wow. so in the summer of I believe it was I believe it was 2009, uh, might have been 2010, we we essentially rehired our entire Indian team here in New Orleans, and what we found was that um, something that we'd been able to get accomplished maybe eight of them a day in India, we were getting done with 30 uh, before lunch here, and I think that it was really you're like an ad
2: for the Chamber of Commerce, yeah. Will.
1: Well, I mean we're 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 now like we're 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 in a place where we're starting to think okay as we scale you know as we scale back up is there an opportunity for us to go overseas and what does that look like and I think that we now have a management infrastructure in place that we could do it but at the time when it really was kind of a mom and pop shop it was very difficult for us to make sure that we had the accountabilities we need. And
2: you two are actually moms and pops. Indeed. That yeah, was so yeah, cool. Yeah. To yeah. And Eileen, I gotta I gotta give you credit. You've got the ultimate business model. You you don't have a factory, you don't even have an office.
3: It's a spare bedroom with a bed in <laughs> it, some kids' toys as well. So, so. not a lot of
2: overhead. <laughs> no, very, yep. very
3: little overhead. And it really was just something that I was like, I'm very risk averse. But I do like doing things, right? So I think the risk-averse part doesn't fit fit well with being an entrepreneur. But I was like, when I did the math, I was like, you know what? My overhead's super low. You know, it's like a website website maybe some printer cartridges, you know, Pretzels. like, you know, like <laughs> a, iPhone bill. So I was like, why not? Like, really, that was my mentality. It's like, is this something I like doing? I'm already doing it anyways. Let's, why not give this a try?
2: <laughs> the only thing that's constant is change. Everything changes, both online and in the real world. These days, though, we don't have to keep up with just these changes. We also have to keep up with the change in the connection between the real and the digital worlds. Eileen and Will, it has been great to learn a little bit about what goes into making all those important links between between these two parallel dimensions of our existence. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch.
1: Thanks, Peter. It's Thank of fun. Thank you.
2: My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Will Scott, CEO of Search Influence, and Eileen Chow, founder and CEO of Interview Ready Now. You can find out more about Will's digital marketing and Eileen's job searching by following the links on our website, it's neworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show is engineered by Thomas Walsh. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to this show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, I think that's a good project. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans' Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Allison Moon. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for It'sNewOrleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Rashudi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more
0: business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday to Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. Mitchell's music is available wherever great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com And by... Schuert & Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas,